Hotel, The Duel, Conclusion. Hello, this is Jana. I'm back with the third part of our story called The Duel in our series, The Dutch Hotel. Be sure to catch up with our earlier episodes. In brief, the duel has now been fought and the kids, Nafsi and Yogi, must return to their parents in the present time. It was hard to believe that the twin brothers had wanted to kill one another just half an hour earlier. They were laughing and joking and slapping each other on the back. Meanwhile, Mr. Cooper and the hotel staff were setting out a table by the side of the Serpentine River with starch white linen, silver cutlery and porcelain plates. Excuse me? asked Yogi. Do you like each other now? Well, it's like this, said Mr. Lucas. My brother Levi is very happy to be alive, and I am very happy not to have killed him. No, 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 don't believe him. It is the other way round. Lucas is happy to be alive, and I am happy not to have killed him, insisted Levi. You mean you missed on purpose? Yes, replied the brothers in unison. Only don't believe him, he is just a terrible shot. No, don't believe my brother. I am a marksman. He is a bad shooter. He does too much reading by candlelight and has very bad eyesight. Yogi did not know who to believe. But Mr. Cooper said to him quietly, It is clear that they are both very happy to be alive. I hope they will appreciate their good fortune from now on. What about Maria? asked Nafsi. Aren't you worried about her? She meant his daughter, whom both the brothers had loved, and who had run off to Scotland. I am a little nervous, said Mr. Cooper. But there is more to that story than meets the eye. Mr. Cooper returned to work, taking a champagne bottle out of the ice bucket, popping the cork and pouring the bubbly wine for the brothers. They took their places at the table on the riverbank, raised their glasses and said, Prost! Which means health in Dutch. Next time I put a bullet in you, you filthy scoundrel, added Mr. Levi, looking into his brother's eyes. That doesn't sound very friendly, said Yogi. Now, Cooper, said Mr. Levi, be so good as to tell us whom your fair daughter is to marry. Neither of us know. Who is the lucky devil? I hope he's richer than we are. I am not privy to her plans. I am merely relieved that my daughter has not been the cause of a tragedy. If Mr. Cooper knew about his daughter's plans, he was certainly keeping it a tight secret. At around 8am when everyone returned to the hotel, the staff and those of the guests who knew about the duel were waiting anxiously for the result. What is off with you, Ed? said Mr. Lucas to the doorman. You look like you've seen a ghost. I'm glad that you're both looking so well today, replied Edward. Indeed, I have never felt better. 
Apart from slight ringing in the ears, it's almost as if somebody fired a pistol close to my head. Talking of which, did you remember to bring the pistols with you, Cooper? Yes, sir, of course. That Brook fellow made us pay pretty price for them. Put them in the safe, will you? And if you don't mind, store that letter from your fair daughter with them. They will be mementos of an unusual morning. Certainly, sir. When they went inside, Yogi said, I know where the safe is. It's down in the cellar. My dad wanted to open it, but he couldn't find the key, so he doesn't know what's inside. He's hoping it might be gold bars. Uh, we don't have any gold bars, uh, but we do keep some important documents in it. And now... These pistols. And then he went behind the reception desk and opened a little door at the top of the desk. Inside, he pulled out a piece of wood. Wow! That's a secret compartment! Can I tell Dad in 150 years' time? Yes, well, he'll be the manager of the hotel after all. But the problem for Nafsi and Yogi was how to return to the 21st century. The e-skateboard had landed in the Serpentine River, and its motor was making a sickly sound. My advice is for you both to take some rest, and then to try returning home at 11am, around the same time as when you arrived here in our era. When I travelled to your period, it was as if I walked through a hidden gate that had opened up, but I did not have any transportation devices such as yours, wheels or no wheels. You shall return by passing through the secret gate. I hope you're right, said Nafsi, holding back a yawn. With all the excitement, they had hardly slept the previous night. Mr. Cooper woke the children at half past ten, and just before eleven, they stood in the mews behind the hotel. Well, until next time, he said holding out his hand. Nafsi wondered for a moment what she should do, and then she realised it was polite to shake hands, which she did. Yogi held his hand, and Mr Cooper shook it, saying, I hope to see you again, young man. You're always welcome here in our era. And you should hang out and watch TV or play games with us, said Yogi. And be sure to bring Maria, added Nafsi. Of course, these fond farewells assumed that they were about to return home, which was far from certain. Nafsi drove the scooter, and Yogi stood behind her on the platform. At the moment the church bell began to sound the hour, she drove down the mews over the cobbles. Halfway along, the mews seemed to change. The garage doors that had been painted green turned white, and a smart windowsill became all flaky and in need of repair. And burglar alarms appeared on some of the houses and suddenly, Norman the chauffeur was saying, Oh, there you two are. Your mother was just asking after you. It's a good thing she didn't see you both standing on one scooter. How long have we been gone? asked Yogi. Mm, you shouldn't have left the muse at all. But it can't have been more than five minutes, said Norman. Don't worry, I won't tell. The e-skateboard fell in the serpentine and it's not working so well, 
Honestly, you promised you would be careful. Do you want me to get the sack? We won't let Dad give you the sack, Norman, promised Nafsi. While they were speaking, a bright yellow open-top car turned into the mews. The driver was wearing sunglasses and a scarf around her neck. She stopped the car on a double yellow line in front of the garage where Norman kept the hotel's Rolls-Royce. Excuse me, madame, he said. You can't park here. The woman looked at him and said, Then you park it for me. And she threw him the keys, which he fumbled and dropped onto the cobbles. Sorry, I, I, I take it you are a guest at the hotel, he said as he picked up the keys. I own it, said the woman as she got out of the car. Hello, said Nafsi. Hi, kids, said the woman. Zelda, said Yogi. Don't sack Norman, he's new. He doesn't know that you own the hotel. I won't. I pay your father to do the hiring and the firing. And so she set off briskly out of the mews, presumably to walk round to the front entrance of the large, impressive building that was her property. That's Zelda, said Nafsi. She's the owner. Now I know, said Norman, who opened the door of the car and sat down in the driver's seat. It was part of his job to take the guest cars to the local church that rented out parking spaces. He turned the key in the ignition and the car jumped forward. He hadn't noticed that Zelda had left it in gear. When Norman finally headed off in the car, the kids left the scooter and the e-skateboard in his office. Then they headed back to the hotel. On the way, they agreed it was best not to tell anyone about their adventure in Victorian times. There were too many reasons why they might get into trouble, like using the e-vehicles, getting involved in a duel, and telling stories that nobody would believe. Zelda was standing in the lobby waiting for their dad. You're not going to sack him, are you? asked Nafsi. No, your father is doing a very good job. No, I meant Norman. Well, if he doesn't crash my car, then he can keep his job for now. Oh, good, because he's very nice, said Nafsi. What have you come to see Dad about? Oh, it's very exciting. We are going to make a documentary film about the history of the hotel. I have been doing a lot of research into its history, and I found a lady in the Netherlands called Theresa van Gaal, who is like the great-great-granddaughter of one of the founders of the hotel. You know in the story there are two twins who wanted to marry the same girl. They fought a duel in Hyde Park and killed each other. So tragic, so romantic. Such a great marketing story. But I don't understand, said Nafsi. If they both shot each other and died before they got married, how can they have a great-great-great-granddaughter? Good point. Maybe she's a near relative. Oh, I know, said Yogi. Maybe they fought the duel, aimed their pistols at each other, and they both missed because they were such bad shooters. Maybe, said Zelda, patting his head. 
But we need the story to be a romantic tragedy, not a comedy. Alan Jones, the children's father, who was the manager of the hotel, had arrived at the front desk. Shall we have tea in the Amsterdam room? Yes, please. No, not you kids. I meant Zelda, replied Alan. Oh, they can come too if they want. I like to hear what they think of our films. Kids have plenty of imagination. Dad chose a table which was more or less in the place where the kids had sat 150 years earlier when they had met Maria, Mr. Cooper's daughter. This time their waitress was called Abby. Everything was very similar except for the sponge cake, which Yogi noted was not nearly so good as it had been in Victorian times. The kids listened as Zelda explained her plans for the documentary, which she hoped to sell to a streaming service such as Flimflix or Congo. The film followed Teresa van Gaal as she researched her family history and the legend of the twin brothers who owned the Dutch hotel. She was due to arrive next week. And she would, of course, want to see every part of the hotel, including the kitchens, the laundry, the garages, and talk to the staff. In particular, asking if they had ever seen any ghosts. The turning point of the documentary would come when they opened the safe in the cellar and revealed whatever secrets were held within. I bet they'll find the pistols they used in a duel inside that safe," said Yogi. Exactly," said Zelda. "Your kids understand the high drama of the film, so Yogi, tell me, what do you think about this idea? When Teresa visits the hotel, we get a safe cracker to blow up the safe with explosives, and we find out what's inside. How do you think that would look on the film? Wow, that would be amazing." But I, I hate to be a spoil sport, but what if there's nothing inside, or we find an old cheese sandwich or a mouse trap? Would that be a letdown? Well, you are a proper spoil sport," said Zelda. "But this is up to you. You find the key to the safe, and we can make sure that it is not empty. But we've searched for the key, and nobody's found it," protested Alan. Zelda looked at her phone. Oh, I'm sorry. I have to be at another meeting. I shall be on my way as long as that Norman guy can bring me my car. But don't forget, Alan. Find that key. I'm counting on you. Yes, boss," said Alan as Zelda got up and left. He had a glum look on his face. This isn't exactly fair, is it? The key's probably been missing for a hundred years or more. What shall I do? Pick the lock? I'm not a safe cracker. Nafsi looked at Yogi. She knew that he couldn't hold the secret, but she decided that it was time she got a word in. You know, Dad, I've got a hunch that there might be a secret compartment in the reception desk. I know a lot of old desks had them. That's where I think the key would be. But I cleaned up that desk and polished it, and I didn't find a secret compartment. Well, that's because you didn't know where to look," said Yogi. Dad was willing to give any idea a chance, so on the way out, the three of them went over to the reception desk, where that morning, 
or was it 150 years ago? They had seen Mr. Cooper hide the key in a secret compartment. Our history teacher told us about these secret desks, said Yogi. If you open up the little door in the centre, there's like this miniature cupboard for keeping letters. And if you feel the sides, they probably come out. And that's your secret compartment. You seem very certain, said Dad. But all the same, he took a look at the desk. At first he could not pull out the false wall, but Nafsi helped him. And to his surprise, they found a secret compartment and the key that was inside it. See? I told you! said Yogi. Alan was completely baffled as to how his son and daughter could have been so spot on. Next, they went down to the cellar and tried the key in the lock of the safe. It was very stiff, but the door of the safe opened with a creak. Well, 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 what have we got in here? He took out a wooden box, opened it and found two pistols. Yay! said Yogi excitedly. Amazing, said their father. Did Zelda tell you where the key was? We promise she doesn't know anything about this. Look, Dad, there are some papers in here. They might be interesting. Dad carefully pulled out the box of old papers and they took them up to his office. Hmm. It looks like the lady was called Maria Cooper and she did not marry either of them. Who did she marry? asked Nafsi. Alan investigated further. He found a letter from Maria's father, Mr. Cooper. It wasn't easy to decipher the handwriting, but after studying it a while, he said, It seems she married a young man called Edward, who worked as the hotel's doorman. He came into his inheritance, which was a small farm in Hampshire, and they went to live there. But the thing is, Mr. Cooper is writing to the Dutch twins, which does not make any sense if they shot each other. It makes sense if they both missed, said Yogi. I suppose it does. And then, added Nafsi, they realised there was no sense in fighting because Maria had run off to marry Edward. Well, you kids seem to know an awful lot about this key and this safe and this event, but however you know... I think you might have saved my job. I hope Zelda is pleased when I tell her this. I hope so too, said Nafsi, because I think she would have preferred if the Dutch twins shot each other. She said she wanted a romantic tragedy, not a comedy. You know, I think you're right. Do you know what? I think I'll keep the evidence of what really happened inside my own desk. We'll put the pistols back in the safe and lock it. And when her safe cracker comes and blows the door off its hinges, she'll be very happy to find the two pistols. No need for any of this paper that contradicts her romantic ideas. But what about the truth? asked Nafsi. The truth 
is something that has remained safe all these years, under lock and key, and we'll keep it that way. What Zelda wants is the legend, and who are we to disappoint her? And that was the conclusion of our story, The Jewel, in our series, The Dutch Hotel. Read by me, Jana, for StoryNori.com. Written by Bertie, who's here now to tell us about our sponsor, OutSchool. Yes, thank you, Jana. My kids have just come back from a lovely holiday on the Greek island of Corfu. But now they've touched down back in London. They're both starting at a new school in September. We're going to be topping up their learning with OutSchool. OutSchool offers online and interactive classes for kids ages 3 to 18. With a really wide variety of subjects and teachers, they have something for every kid. My son Sasha has particularly benefited from both art classes and learning a language, in his case Russian. The outschool classes join him up with a teacher in America and kids around the world. I can really say he loves it. So, set learning free. Head over to outschool.com slash storynori and use code storynori to learn more and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash storynori to save $15 on your child's first class. Outschool.com slash storynori code storynori. Thank you, Bertie. We all love Outschool. They're wonderful. And while we're on the subject of getting back to school, I'd like to remind you all about my book called Undercover Robot by me, Bertie Fraser, and my friend David Edmonds. It tells the amusing tale of Dottie. She's actually a robot, but she has to spend an entire year without anyone noticing that. In fact, she has to pass as a human in order to win a big prize. And the very first chapter is about her first day at school. She's supposed to be a girl about 11 years old, I guess. I'm just going to read you from the first page. Although Dottie is supposed to be um, a girl, so excuse my voice. As I passed through the school gate, I glanced back at the human who flicked the switch that brought me to life. I call him Dad, and he had just taken 13 pictures of me before hugging me and wishing me luck on my first day at school. Dad is 184 centimetres tall with thick, curly hair that was once brown but is now 63% grey. His bright blue eyes are often wide open, which, according to my database of expressions, typically indicates anger or being startled. But because I have been in the lab with him for so many hours... I know that he is generally calm. On average, he loses his temper once every 32 hours, which is infrequent for a human. People say he's untidy, he wears crumpled shirts and scuffed size 10 shoes. He is happiest when he's sitting in a chair and reading books with long titles while snacking a malted chocolate biscuits. 
dad is a professor of philosophy. Philosophers work on problems that baffle human minds. In his youth, he spent two years considering the difference between a mug and a cup. Then he spent another three years wondering whether things like mugs and cups really exist. Nowadays, he leads a cross-faculty research team that includes specialists in software, electronics, plastics, psychology, linguistics, medicine, and many other fields. He brought them all together to work on a project that will change the world. That project is me. Anyway, Undercover Robot is published in the UK by Walker Books. They're the people who published that famous bear book, We're Going on a Bear Hunt. And it's been published in many parts of the world. In China, of course, in Chinese. In Germany, where a major newspaper picked it as one of its best summer reads. In Romania. In Ukraine, I believe. In Turkey. In Italy. In fact, in loads of places. But there is one big country where we don't have a publisher. And that is the USA. So what you can do is buy it on Amazon through an importer. And I think it'll arrive very easily. But I was just wondering if there is a publisher in the United States who would like to publish this book. Our agent has now got the rights back for the USA. So if a publisher were to come forth, I'm sure a deal could be struck. And don't forget... There are more stories at storynoi.com. From me, Jana, bye for now.